a fib, a big whopper, a falsity, an exaggeration, a fable, a bluff, deception, equivocation, a fishtail. No matter how you dress it up, no matter what you call it, it's still a lie. It's still a lie. Now, all of us have different reasons for why we lie, and I think all of us in our time have probably told some big whoppers um, to deceive someone. We've been deceived ourselves, or we've deceived others. I remember um, when I was in high school, uh, had my fair share of times where I, I lied to get your way. You know, you have the old adage, it's better to uh, ask forgiveness than permission. And so I remember uh, me and my buddy, we said, listen, you tell your mom you're staying the night at my house, and I'll tell my mom I'm spending the night at your house, and uh, and we'll go out. And so I was about 17, so we both did that and uh, and kind of fooled our moms, and we went out to a club and had what we thought was a pretty good time, and we didn't really have any place to stay, so we were like, all right, man, we got to crash in my car. So we like slept the night in the car, woke up and had weights the next day, and thought that we had gotten away with it free and clear. You know, thought, hey, we pulled one over, we hood winked them and uh and my little sister though thank you facebook people apparently taking pictures that i didn't know about and so uh, my little sister at the time was lovely to me and she was finding ways that she could get me and so she had found these pictures and had told my mom and said hey do you know what's what's trevor been up to lately and so um my mom Looked at these pictures and then can't, and it was like, so Trevor, where were you? Uh, where were you that night? I was like, what do you, I was over at, uh, I was over at Matt's house. And she was like, really? You were over at Matt's house, huh? And I was like, yeah, I was over at Matt's house. And she was like, what are these? You know, and pulls out all the pictures and I kind of like, I kind of like froze for a second. You know, you kind of like get caught in it and then, what happens? Either you're going to tell the truth or you're going to tell another lie. And so what I did was I was like, Oh, those are, uh, that was a school dance. That's why you see people dancing. That's why it's dark at night. That, that's what was a school dance, mom. Like, I was totally at Matt's house that night. And so I lied again. And, and it's funny how that happens, right? You, you kind of build on it and, and you kind of, you deceive others, but in the midst of it, you're deceived. It's kind of like Pinocchio. Your nose starts to grow until you're trapped, you know, until you're so, your nose has grown so big that you can't really turn anyway. You're kind of stuck where you're at. And so my mom kind of believed me for that moment, but then she like went back and looked at the pictures and there were some posters and there were some different things that they would not have at a school. And so she, she pulled me up and she was like, really, they have these kinds of things in the school, huh? And I was like, oh. And so I got caught. I had no alibi and, uh, and I was in pretty big trouble. I think the car was taken for quite a while and I was grounded. But let me tell you the worst part of it was the trust that was broken. The trust that was broken is my parents didn't trust me the same way. Um, and it took a long time. It took a long time to build that trust back up. And so one of the heart, the heart of what we're talking about today is it's the ninth commandment. And the big idea, the big idea is that God loves truth. God loves truth. Exodus 20:16 it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so if you're here and you're far from God, perhaps you don't know Christ. One, I want to, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. Know that you're loved. I hope you feel welcomed. But I hope that as we talk today, that you will think about and consider how Christianity actually makes sense of telling the truth. That it actually, it makes sense of why we are to tell the truth and actually empowers you to tell the truth. So I hope if you're not a Christian, you will, you will be open and you will allow the Holy Spirit to move and you will say, 
I'm going to consider Christianity and see how it actually makes sense and enables me to understand the truth and to tell the truth. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, my challenge is this, is I want you to be open. I want you to ask yourself, why do you lie? Why? Why do you lie and what do you lie about? So why, why are you lying? Like what, you know, what's your purpose behind it? And what do you, what do you lie about? So first, what is a lie? Right? What is a lie? What is a, a, a lie is a falsehood. It's an untruth. Um, it means to intentionally deceive or to give a false impression. Now, lie, a lie can't exist by itself. It's like a parasite. Right? A lie sucks off of the truth. Um, if you know anything about parasite, it can't live on its own. Instead, it has to attach to host and it gets all of its energy from that. And lie is a bent. Now, truth is always talked about as being straight. As being straight. Now, a lie is when you take something that is straight and you bend it or you break it. And so to lie is to break something. It's to bend something that was straight, something that is true. And why do we lie? So why why does anybody lie? Um, when, as I started thinking through this, I realized that if we think about the lies that we tell, we'll realize that they're a window. So I want you to think about maybe you have a window at your house or a window someplace that you like to look out of. And through that window, you see all kinds of different things, right? You see a landscape. You know, there's just the other day I was looking outside of our window and I see, you know, like you see the beautiful sun, you see all these different things out of it. But I hope you will see that when we look at line, it's a window into our heart. It's a window into our heart. And so when we look at what we're lying about, it shows and it reveals our heart. You see, the reason that we lie is because we think that there's something more important than the truth. It th- because we believe there's something more in truth. Romans says it like this. It says that we exchange, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And every time we lie, we're making an exchange. We're exchanging truth for something that we think is more important. We think it's more important than the truth. And so we make this trade and we think, we think that it's going to give us life. Right? I mean, nobody lies unless they think they're going to get something better out of it. You know, like I didn't tell, you know, my mom that I was, wasn't at the club because, you know, like I thought that the consequences were worse than telling the truth. And so I said, well, listen, I don't want those consequences. What's really going to be better for me is to like lie and therefore I'll skip the consequences and it'll be better. And so I ch- exchange the truth for a lie because I thought that there was something better for me to get. And so if you'll look at what you're lying about, it will reveal what you find to be important. What do you lie about? Because it reveals what you find valuable, what you find to be important. Is it image? Do you find that you lie so that other people would look at you and think that you're impressive and think that you are important? And so you find that most of your lies revolve around somebody thinking or other people looking at you in a specific light or in a certain way. Maybe it's acceptance. You lie and you tell people things. You say, I'll I'll be there or I'll do this or I'll do that. And you find yourself always stretched thin because the reason you're lying is because you want other people's acceptance. And you desperately need their acceptance to feel valued and worthy. Maybe it's control. You lie to other people because you want to feel like you're in control of your life and that you you can manipulate and do to other people as you see fit. And so your desire in line is that you want to control others because you think that that's what matters, is you being in control. All lies stem from pride. It stems from us thinking that we know better and that we can judge and ascertain what is important, that we can set aside the truth for what really matters. 
So why why do we lie? Why do we lie? So I want to talk about the ninth commandment. What does it mean when it's talking to ancient Israel, right? It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, in Israel, they didn't have a law court like we did, right? They didn't have like a police a justice system that came when somebody broke a law and put them in handcuffs and then walked into a jail and they sit in jail for a while until they have a hearing. Like they didn't have that. Okay, so what you had in ancient Israel is you had some judges and you had people that would come before these judges and they would say, hey, this person stole something or this person beat up somebody or this person killed somebody or this somebody swore falsely. And so in the ancient culture, that's kind of how oftentimes the justice system worked. And in other cultures outside of Israel, what you would have is that somebody would say, you know, I like their property and they're not willing to trade. And so I'm going to go accuse them falsely and you know, I have more power than they do, and so people will believe me. And then they would, that person would be accused, and they would take their property. Oftentimes, a single witness could sway, and a person's life would be determined by a single witness in other cultures. And so you see, in the ancient culture, it wasn't innocent until proven guilty. It was guilty until proven innocent. And so there are some laws that, that God put down and said, my people shall be different. They shall be a unique, a peculiar people. And so he said, as he says, no longer is one witness able to accuse someone, but instead every, every accusation has to be established by two or three witnesses. So there has to be two or three witnesses. But not only do there have to be two or three witnesses, but the penalty goes both ways. So if somebody accuses someone of stealing, you know, they say, hey, they stole, you know, my donkey or, you know, in our terms, they stole my car, you know, um, they would have to, if they had lied, they would have their car, their donkey taken from them. And so it reciprocated. It reciprocated. If you said that somebody had committed murder or had tried attempted murder and you had lied about that, then you better be ready because you're going to have to pay murder if you lied and made it up. And so the, the consequences went both ways, which is a I mean, think about that. How would our justice system be different if that happened, right? Would it be a little different if uh, if everybody that says, listen, um, you know, I got hit or this person did this or, you know, every person that sues has to also be willing to have what they're seeking to be taken from them. And so God enabled that to, to be fair so that there would be balance. Not only that, but there also was that the person, if somebody had committed murder and the accuser establishes they had committed murder, then they had to be the first person to throw the stone. They have to be the first person to bring about that that execution. And so it's a lot different when you're just accusing somebody of something to where you now have to be partaker of it and bring, your, bring it about. And so it's it's massively, massively different. Deuteronomy 19, 18 through 19, it says this. It says, the judges require diligently, right? And so it talks, this commandment doesn't just deal with people that are giving accusations, Right, because we hear this and we think, oh, it just deals with the, the the witness, or it just deals with the person making the accusation. But that's not true. It also deals with the judges. And he says, the judge shall see, shall inquire diligently. Right, so he shall seek out the truth. He doesn't just listen. He doesn't just passively go with it, but he seeks it out. And it says, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And so you see that this command is different, right? Israel is to be set apart in the way that they handle the truth, in the way that they handle justice. 
And it's not just that it applies to the witness or to the accuser, but it applies to everyone. Uh, Joe Kim Duma says this. He says, past interpreters of the ninth commandment never hesitated to mention various persons who have made a role, who have a role in administering justice. These interpreters would demand of a judge that he be incorruptible and not judge rashly. They required of the accuser that he never accuse somebody unnecessarily out of antipathy or revenge. They expected the witnesses to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. The lawyer was forbidden to call black white and white black, even when he had the valuable function of coming to the aid of the accused and demanding that proof of guilt, if there was any, be airtight. These interpreters required the accused to confess his guilt where such guilt was proved. Do you see that this command affects all aspects of the legal system for ancient Israel? Man, can I just stress how different it would be if we actually obeyed this? I mean, some of you know about what happens in Ferguson. Some of you know, you know about all the different things that happen in our political system and what would happen if, if we actually took to heart what this says and what this means. Because let me tell you, if, if there's no truth, then justice will not prevail. The, the degree to which justice works in a society is the degree to which each individual honors and cherishes truth. And when truth is not honored and truth is not cherished, then there will be no justice because we're constantly exchanging it for what we think important. So the heart of this command, the heart of this command, right, is positively that we are to seek truth, right? He just says, don't just bear, don't not lie, but you are to seek something, right? You are to seek out truth. And what this says is that there actually is such a thing as truth. There actually is such a thing as truth with a capital T, there are absolute truths. Perhaps you've heard this. Oftentimes, freshmen in college um, think this, and they get this idea, and they feel very sophisticated by it. I remember when I was an intern in college, um, I was talking to a senior in high school who was about to be a freshman in college, and he was adamantly trying to convince me that there is no such thing as truth, that all truth is relative, that that might be true for you, but it's not really true for me. And what's really ironic, Jesus faced this, right? Jesus faced this when Pilate says, what is truth? You know, kind of insinuating that, that truth is relative, that truth is, is changing, and it just depends upon your perspective. That really, you know, like, you know, what's true for this person, it's true for them, but, but it's not true for me. The ironic thing is that when you say that there's no such thing as absolute truth, you're making an absolute truth claim, right? It's, it's, it's a contradiction. When I say that there's no absolute truth, I'm saying except for the one that I just made. <laughs> I'm saying that I just made an absolute truth, and my absolute truth is that there are no absolute truths. It's, it's like a square circle, right? Or a, a, a single married person, right? It's a contradiction. It doesn't work. The fact that people argue it shows that they don't believe it's true, right? Because if I don't think that there's truth, then why am I arguing over something? Why am I trying so adamantly for you to believe that what I'm saying is right if I don't believe that there's any such thing as truth? And so the, the heartbeat behind this, though, is that people say, well, there's no such thing as truth because they think that if you have truth, that you're intolerant, right? Who are we to say that, oh, we have the truth and you don't have the truth? And so they think that by saying that everybody has their own kind of truth, that they're being tolerant, right? We don't want to, far be it from us to be exclusive. We wouldn't be exclusive with that. We want everybody to be inclusive. Can I tell you, though, that nobody lives their life that way? 
Nobody lives their life that way. Nobody, when somebody walks up and decides, I'm going to purposely trip them, just says, oh, well, you know, that's their truth. That's okay for them. They can trip me, and that's perfectly fine. Or nobody, when somebody just walks up and decides to punch them in the face, says, well, you know, that's perfectly fine for them. That's their truth. In their truth world, they can punch people in the face, and it's totally fine. But in mine, you know, it's not right. And so we'll just let that be. No, everybody realizes that there's an internal moral law that governs everything. I mean, if any of you guys have played sports, you know that there have to be a standard of rules for you to play. You know, I played basketball throughout high school, and one of the things you learn is that you can't have everybody making up their own rules of the game. Right? Even in the NBA where they carry all the time, everybody knows it. You know, And so you don't have people that just say, well, listen, I'm going to decide what I think is double dribbling, and you're going to decide what you think is a foul. You, know, you have some people that don't touch anybody and others that run straight through them. You know, no, everybody has to have an agreed-upon understanding of what the rules are for it to make sense. And so, too, there is truth. There is a guideline that allows us to make sense. And the reason that we're not intolerant, and can I tell you, this is what sets Christianity apart from everything else. Other, other religions, other beliefs say that we have the truth, and the way that we have the truth is that we achieve it. And so we're better than you because we're more morally superior. We work hard, we're diligent, and we obey. You're weak and you don't obey. And that's, that's the truth claim. If you look at Islam, if you look at Judy, if you look at other religions, other belief systems, they operate in this that we perform the truth, and because we perform the truth, we're accepted. We are good. We have right standing before God because we are performing these things. And if you want to be part of the truth, if you want to have the truth, then you should obey. And it's very exclusive, right? It's very exclusive. But we think is that, right, we don't have the truth because we are good. We have the truth because God is good, and he is gracious, and he gives it. And the truth isn't exclusive, but instead it's to all who wills. It's to all who come. It's not exclusive or wrong to tell someone that 2 plus 2 is always going to equal 4 and that they're more than welcome to always believe that that's true because it is. What is. What's exclusive when you say, listen, this is what's true, but you can't believe it. You're not right and you're not welcome. All are welcome. All are able. And so we Christianity is as inclusive as it gets because all people are welcome. Right? Only in the Christian church did you have rich and poor. Did you have different races? Did you have different socioeconomic classes mixing? Is that you have this hodgepodge of totally random people that would have never got along or would have never met now mingling and being closer than family. And so Christianity is the most inclusive and intolerant belief system that allows all people to come together and to be unified. To be unified. And so there is, there is such a thing as truth. And the reason we know that how we know truth is that God declares it, right? The scriptures make very evident that God is truth and that he is the one and the revealer of truth. And so where do we go? Where do you go for what truth is or how do you discover truth? Because this is, this is important. We don't, we don't invent truth, right? Nobody comes up and says, you know, like, I think this is going to be true for me today. That's not how it works. Truth is either discovered or it's revealed, Right? I mean, scientifically, we know that. Is that somebody discovers, they make an inquiry, and they discover that something is true. Right? And so people are constantly discovering things that have been true long before we knew it. So truth is either discovered or it's revealed. Is that we have someone who discloses and, and shows us what is true. And every kid knows that his parent does that. Right? Parents are constantly revealing truth to their children. They're teaching them. They're guiding them. And so there's a big difference between people believing something and be, something being true, right? People can believe lots of things. I can believe I can fly, but the truth is I can't, right? 
And so there's difference between belief and something being true. Truth is outside of us. Truth is something that is found and located within God himself. And so we discover truth or truth is revealed to us. And this is extremely important because more than 50% of young Christians don't even think that there's such a thing as truth. And if there's not such such a thing as absolute truth, then we have no moral basis for any of our decisions. Why should I tell the truth rather than lie if it doesn't matter, if there's no such thing as an absolute standard by which I'm to discern what is right or wrong? And so truth matters, that there is such a thing as truth, there is such a thing as absolute truth. And this is extremely relevant because I promise if you talk to most people, they really are swayed by this. They really think that truth is relative. And it's that that's a huge lie that undergirds and takes away from people and that it allows them to justify their actions and allows them to justify sin in their life is that I'll do what I want to do. So, so there is such a thing as truth, and we are called to seek it out. We are called to seek out truth. And so part of the, part of the implications of this command is it's not just asking, are you not lying, but instead, are you seeking out the truth? One of the ways that we most demonstrate the truth is in our workplace, right? You, you want to know how to stand apart as a Christian. You want to know how to be light in a dark world. Do you tell the truth? Because we are saturated in a world where telling the truth is a convenience rather than a necessity, right? I mean, we, we look at our politicians and we say, is there anything that I can trust? Is there anything, it seems that we hear lie after lie after lie, right? Lawyers, we say, are they telling us the truth? Is there something we can trust that they're going to say? If it's news reporters, are they, are they willing to tell us this, the true story? Are they going to sell out for sensationalism and to sell and to sell magazines or to sell newspapers or to sell, you know, uh, a program. But here's the thing. We contribute, all of us, all of us contribute to the culture of lying. What is it that, what is it you're tempted? What is the lie that you're tempted to tell in, the, in where you work? For teachers, what is it you're tempted to lie about? What is it that you're tempted to deceive in? For, for pastors, what is it that we're tempted to, to lie about? or to deceive, to not proclaim God's word truly, you know, to not call people out in sin, to do all kinds of different things because of fear of other people. We all, every single one of us, have areas that we can walk in deception in our workplace. And the way that you stand out is by refusing to do that. The way that you stand out is by saying, listen, I will tell the truth because the truth is worth telling. Because it's it's a lie, right? The The... The big thing is that it's a lie because every time you think you're going to get life out of the lie, right? You think that because I tell this lie, I'm going to get something better in life, but that's, that's the trick. You think you're using a lie to get what you want. But what you don't know is that the lie is actually using you, is that it deceives you because no matter what lie you tell, it will always bring death. It will always bring death. No matter how many times you lie to someone else, you're actually lying to yourself, and it deceives you and it tricks you and manipulates your personality to where you become a person of deception. And it, and often you are so caught up in lies that you're hard, it's hard for you to figure out what the truth is. It's hard for you to figure out what the truth is. So I want to run through real quick a couple of, of different ways that we break this commandment, right? Is a couple of different ways of what this commandment means. What does it mean to, to bear false witness? And so the first one we've kind of talked about, but it's, 
legally lying that harms another. Anytime that you go on a stand or that you're saying something that's going to legally harm someone and you're, you know, you're doing slander or perjury or, you know, that is exactly what this command is talking about. It's sin. When you're called to testify to something, tell the truth. Tell the truth. It doesn't matter if what you're going to say is going to, you know, it's going to convict you or if it's going to hurt someone else. You're called to, to tell the truth. The second one is slander and gossip. Proverbs 22, one, it talks about that a person's reputation is, is better than wealth. That a person's honor is better than jewels. And what we do in gossip and what we do in slander is we steal someone's reputation. We hold a, a court in the room of public opinion where no one, where they can never stand as a defendant and justify themselves and we condemn them. Slander kills three. The one who speaks it, the one who listens to it, and the one about whom it is spoken. He that raises slander carries the devil in his tongue, and he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. You see, slander deceives us because what happens, and often this happens in the guise of prayer requests, Right? Well, I'm going to pray for you, and then what happens is somebody gives a whole bunch of other opinions and thoughts that have nothing to do with the prayer request. And, and that affects it because that person is no longer to see the person that's being talked about in the same light any longer, and their reputation is maligned and is taken. And therefore, you are not able to love the person that Christ calls you to love because you're deceived about them, because you believe all of these false things. And this is so spread and so rampant in the church is we don't feel guilty or we don't feel convicted because we feel like it's commonplace, is we continue to talk about people and we don't ask. We don't ask, would I say this if this person were here? So let me just challenge you. Before you start talking about somebody in the presence of someone else, ask, ask these things. I want you to ask, is what I'm saying actually true? Is it, is it really true or is this my bent, my perspective on the situation? Is what I'm saying true? Does it need to be said to this person at this time? Does it need to be said to this person at this time? Because often we go on and we say things that we have no business saying. And we do it simply because we want the attention, because it's juicy, because it's appealing, because we're curious. And so we say things or we listen to things that we have no business saying or listening to because it, the person we're saying it to has no business knowing it. And then the last one, would I say it if this person were present? Because I don't think we should say things unless we're willing to have that person present. Gossip leads us to be deceived about others. It it leads us and hinders us from loving them truly. So, gossip. And, And it's not just, it's not just speaking gossip that matters, but it's listening to gossip. Because here's the thing, we often gossip because we've heard gossip. We, we pass it on because we received it. And so how do you encounter when somebody begins to gossip to you? When somebody begins to talk about something that you have no business hearing and they put their perspective on it, do you just listen and just kind of nod your head and go along with it? Or do you actually interrupt? Do you say, hey, I, I think this is gossip. We probably shouldn't talk about this. Or have you talked to this person about it? Do you actually ask them, have you actually gone and talked to this person about it? Because you see, we shouldn't be talking about someone else unless we have the responsibility of caring for that person and it's and it, we need to talk about that because what happens is that we don't we don't go to that person and do the hard work of actually confronting them in their sin rather we just talk behind their back 
and hope that they'll change. Right? We, we talk about their back, like talking behind their back and saying all these things is actually going to change that person rather than going to that person and talking to them person to person and face to face. And so gossip will destroy you and it will destroy people's reputation. I know whole churches that just are ripped apart because of gossip. Because people go behind and they talk behind one another's backs and, and it destroys unity. Can I tell you one of the biggest things in a, in a marriage, in a church, in a relationship is trust and is unity. And when you begin to gossip, it destroys unity. It destroys trust. And it will leave you ruined and wreckage. And so something that you think is trivial and you think is meaningless will begin to tear apart the fabric of your life if you let it. Do you gossip? Do you say things behind other people's backs that you shouldn't? The third one is failing to speak. So knowing knowing the truth but refusing to speak up. Right? This happens when... In a legal setting, when you have someone that they say, hey, there's a murder. Does anybody know who's murdered? And you have people that just remain silent and they don't speak. Right? They're guilty of, of bearing false witness because they have the burden and the duty to speak forth. This happens when we just listen in as other people accuse or say things that aren't true about people that we know. And we just passively sit back and listen to it and let it go on, refusing to speak and refusing to correct we are called to speak the truth, not just not lie. And so are we speaking the truth? Are we people of the truth that seek to speak it forth in situations where others are being deceived? This is a huge one. Number four is that are we living a life that doesn't match reality? Are we living a life that doesn't match reality? You see, we can bear false witness without speaking a single word. And the way that we do that is that we live differently than what is reality. A, a married man... A married man can bear false witness without saying a single word by acting like he's not married. Right? If a married man goes around and lives his life as if he's not married, he's bearing false witness to the truth that he is. And this goes on for children too. Right? Have you ever heard, your mama taught you better than that. Right? I mean, that that whole phrase stems out of like a child acting differently than the reality. Like they have parents and their parents raised them up right and they're acting as if that's not true. And so the way that we live can speak false testimony to other people when we live differently than what is the reality of what is. The fifth, when we use or we speak the truth to manipulate. See, sometimes we, we can bear false witness, not necessarily by just saying a lie, but by saying the truth in a way that manipulates. So salesmen, do you speak the truth in a way that's going to benefit people or do you speak the truth in a way that manipulates others, in a, ways that, in a way that gets what you want it to get? Because we can bear false witness by saying the truth, but by using it for our purposes and our ways to sway people, to manipulate them. The last one is that we can bear false witness by not seeking the truth. And I think this, honestly, I think this is the the foundation and the catalyst for all other ways. Is that we live in a world where the average person watches 2,000 hours of television. 2,000 hours a year of television, how many countless different songs we ingest. And we think that not one of them has anything to say about what is true, about what matters in life. And so we, we passively swallow lies all the time. And we then, since we've engulfed and digested so many lies, naturally spew them out into others and into the world around us. And so do you seek after the truth? Do you actually inquire diligently to see, is this true 
or do I just listen? I mean, how many ads do we watch a single year, and how many ads are actually based upon what is true? Most of the ads that I watch don't bother with the truth. You know, they don't let, you know, their commercial, you know, like they don't let the truth hinder their commercial, you know? And so they go after emotions and they use all these things to manipulate. And we receive that and that wires our minds. You're kidding yourself if you don't think the countless hours of television and the countless songs you've listened to and the countless ads you've watched have an effect the way that you think. They've affected the way that we all think. It's the culture that we're in. It's the stream that we all live in and it's flowing. And so we're all affected by it. And so what we are called to do is we're called to seek out the truth, is we're called to stop and ask, is this actually true, and do due diligence in seeking out the truth. Now, it doesn't mean that all the time that we're going to ever come and arrive at the ultimate point of knowing every truth that there is, but it means that are we doing due diligence and actually seeing if something is true. And can I challenge you, if, if you're not a Christian, have you done the due diligence of examining whether Christianity is true, or do you just dismiss it? Or do you just go off of what you hear in the media and say, well, there's no way it could be true, and you just randomly dismiss it without actually seeking seeking the truth, without actually seeking the truth? So I want to talk about, are there any loopholes, right? Are there any gray areas? Because we all want to know, like, aren't there times when I can lie? Um, the example that I, I think of is Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar, but... Uh, she was protecting Jews in the time of Nazi Germany, right? And her older sister, uh, the, the Nazis came to examine and see if there were any Jews. And her older sister uh, lied and said, no, there aren't any Jews in here, and thereby saved the lives of those that were being hidden. The, the Bible actually talks about it. You know, uh, Rahab. Rahab is this prostitute, and spies are sent in to te- check out Jericho, and she hides the spies. She hides the spies, and when the men come to the city to ask, she, she lies to them. She deceives them. And the, the problem with that is that, like, and then in Hebrews, it, like, actually commends her for it. You know, like, Hebrews is like, and she, because of her faith in the Lord, she, like, lied to the people because she considered it greater, you know, honor to, to follow the Lord than to honor what her city was doing. You know, then you have Moses, right? You had the midwives with Moses, and, uh, and the midwives lie to Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh's like, hey, Pharaoh makes this edict, and he says, all the firstborn are going to die. I'm, I'm putting to death all the firstborn males. And uh, and the midwives didn't do it. They didn't kill the firstborn. And Pharaoh comes to him, and he says, why, hey, why aren't you, why aren't you reporting these things? And they're like, man, the, the Jewish women, they're so vigorous. They just, they give birth so quickly. You know, we can't get there. And so, so they lied, right? They, they deceived now, I mean, this is kind of a, a tricky issue. It's kind of a gray area. Or how do we do this? Because oftentimes what happens is that we see these gray areas and we're like, sweet, green pass, you know, I get to go now. Now I found a loophole for me to lie. But what, what we see is that these are the exceptions, not the rule. These are the exceptions, not the rule. And every time that we see an example like this, it's to preserve life. It's to preserve life. It's because there is death that's coming. And and it's not saying that it's that lying itself is the route, because I believe that often the Lord will provide for us to say the truth, for us for us to, to speak the truth in those situations if we're relying. But it's saying, are we are we preserving life? Are we helping? And also, they didn't have the right to know the truth. Pharaoh didn't have the right because of his intention. His intention to do evil forfeited his right to know, because he was seeking to kill. He was seeking to destroy. And so while we see some examples of this, we, this isn't by far the rule. And we see that the only times there are examples in this is when life is being threatened. And it's because of trust and it's because of faith that they are seeking to preserve life in it. 
I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, and this is kind of where, I mean, the sermon's been really good, but this is where the Lord really convicted me and really opened my eyes. Because from now, like from what we've been talking about, we've been talking a lot about how we bear false witness against one another. Right? How we lie about others or we receive lies or how we're part of gossip and all of these things. Um, but the Lord really clicked into me um, that not only do we do this with others, but we do this with God. How often do we bear false witness against God? How often do you receive false witness against God? Do you see Genesis opens up with a story of false witness? Satan, who is called the enemy, right? Satan, the devil, it means the accuser or the deceiver. Satan's main goal and his main job is that he accuses. He's like a legal defendant and he accuses, the scriptures say, the brethren. And so Satan accuses and he speaks lies, right? The Bible says that, that he speaks lies. He's a father of lies. And when he speaks lies, he speaks according to his native tongue. And so when we lie, we associate ourselves with Satan. And it says actually, like in Acts 5, when you have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it says that Satan fills our heart to lie. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And when we lie, we lie to God. And it says that Satan is the one that fills us with lies and speaks lies. And so when we lie, we say and we associate ourselves with Satan. And I want to look real quick in Genesis. You see there's three lies that were ingrained in the heart of humanity from the beginning. And there are three lies that we still struggle with believing. And so you have God. He, he creates everything. He makes Adam and Eve. And he tells them, you may eat of the garden. You may eat anything that you want, except you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Satan comes along and he speaks. He says, did God surely say then the day you eat of it, you will, you will die? And, and Eve bears false. She says, no, he says, you know, I, we should not touch of any tree lest we die. And Satan goes on and he, and he says, no, you, you won't surely die. You won't surely die. For, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And so there, there are three lies there are three lies that Satan says that he speaks. First one, the first lie that he told Adam and Eve and that we still believe is that God isn't really good. This is the lie that he's accused God of as he says, God's not really good because God withheld from you something. Don't you see? If God really was good, he would give you what you really want. He would give you what you really think you need. And so God withheld this fruit from you. And don't you see that he's not really good? Because if he was good, he would have given you what your heart desired. And so from the beginning, the enemy has lied to us and has spoken this false witness by saying that God is not truly good and that we must go out and seek our own good, that we must find satisfaction in other things because God isn't really good, nor does he satisfy us. The second lie is that he says that sin doesn't really lead to death, right? Satan says, no, you won't surely die, will you? And this is the lie that we continue to believe is that we lean upon God's grace and we justify and we say, God's not really just. Sin doesn't really lead to death. This lie isn't really that big of a deal. And we continue to justify because we believe a lie. We believe the lie that God is not holy and that he is not just and that we justify ourselves thinking that it's okay for me to lie because we don't think that sin leads to death. And can I tell you, this lie is so ingrained in us and it's demonstrated because we don't, we don't repent. We don't, we don't think sin is serious, and we fiddle around with it. We play with it. We straddle the fence with it. And the third lie is that we should be our own gods, right? What he tells Adam and Eve, what he tells Eve in the garden, he says, listen, you know what's best for your life. You know what's best for your life. Why do you listen to God? You should choose the shots. You should pick what you want to do. 
And so what he tells them is that you would make a better God than God does. And so he elevates that. And that's the lie that humanity has believed is that we deserve to be gods and we deserve to make the choices and call the shots in our life. And you see, those three, those three lies that have been spoken into us from the beginning, they transfer and they are demonstrated because we bear false witness against God. Remember when I said that, that it's not just your words, but also your actions that communicate to God? All of us. I want to talk about three different ways, three different ways that we give false testimony against God. We, because we've received it, we say that God isn't good. Every time that we chase after something else that we think it will satisfy, whether it's another woman, whether it's finances, whether it's a job, whether it's a hobby, whenever we go after something else and we think that it will satisfy, we say that God isn't good. We say that God isn't enough. We say that I am the determiner of what I think I need. And so our idolatry, and and look at what you lie. Look at what you lie about because what you lie about is going to reveal what your idols, it's going to reveal what you think you need. It will show you. So we, we lie and we say that God isn't really good. We say that he isn't really holy. Can I tell you the way that I think we say, we say that God isn't holy because we don't proclaim the gospel to our friends that don't know Jesus. We don't really think that there's a hell. I mean, most of us, most of us are really like practicing, you know, like deists. We don't really think that there's a God and we don't really think that he actually sends people to hell because if we believe that we would actually share the gospel. We would actually tell people about the message of salvation, but instead we don't believe that God is holy. Therefore, we don't believe that sin matters and we don't think we're separated from him. And so if we believe that God is holy and we believe that hell is actually real, we'll share the gospel because we love people, because we care about them, because we don't want them to be separated from themselves. The third one that we say is that God isn't really God. We say that God isn't really God. And we say this when we don't honor him, when we don't put him first. You see, when we're busy, we do what's most important to us. And so when you're busy, does God make the list or does he get shoved aside? When you have work, when you have school, when you have all these things, is God still a priority or is he something that he is just add on? Is he just filler? Is he icing on the cake? Or is he instead the foundation that holds everything together? Because we say that he's not God when we don't honor him and submit to him rather than we just we just check up on him every once in a while. I mean, it, you would show that somebody, you don't really see somebody as your wife if you don't see him for, you know, months and months and months, you know, but if you actually pursue them and actually love them, you demonstrate. And the same way with God is that when we chase after God, when we put him first and we honor him, we demonstrate, we demonstrate that we value him, that he is God, that he is God to us. And so this is the way, I hope you see that all of us all of us stand guilty. Every single one of us, we have, in our lives, we have demonstrated that we don't think that, that he's God. We've demonstrated that we don't think he's good. We've demonstrated that we don't think that he's holy, and all of us have fallen short. All of us have lied. Right? But there's, there's good news in this. Right? First, I want to I unpack this. The consequences of the effects of a lie depend upon who you tell it to and, and, and the lie that you tell. So if you tell a lie about somebody that you don't really know, it doesn't affect that person as much, right? So if you talk about some random politician or some actor and you say something that's not true against them, it doesn't have the same effect that, say, you lie to your spouse, you know, or you lie to your, your children. The closeness of the relationship and the magnitude or the degree of the lie is going to is going to show the brokenness. So the closer you are to someone and the bigger lie you tell, the more broken the relationship will be. How broken is our relationship with God when we constantly tell him lies that say that he's not true, that he's not real, that we don't honor him and value him. And so Revelation makes clear when we lie, we're separated from God. We deserve to spend eternity apart from him. 
but Jesus comes not just full of truth, but also full of grace, right? And so as we, as we wrap up, I just want to talk about where is the gospel, right? Where's the gospel in this command? How do we see Jesus here, right? Because I think hopefully we're ready for some good news. You know, we're kind of like, hey, all right, yes, I know, Trevor, yes, I lie, I got the points. Can I hear the good news of Jesus? Can I hear some grace in this? Um, one, we can hear good news because Jesus tells the truth always, right? Is that you can go to God and you can bank that he is going to tell you the truth. And and what the beautiful thing is that he speaks the truth, and when he says that you have faith in him, he says that you're pure, that you're perfect, that you're forgiven. And that is good news because you can believe it. Because what happens is that we don't believe that. We say, oh, God, you don't really know. I'm too terrible. You can never forgive me. You don't believe that God is true. God is true. When he says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Who are you Who are you to tell God he doesn't know what he's talking about? Or to tell God that you're too powerful, your sin's too great for him. When he says that you're forgiven, you're forgiven. When he says that you're new, you're new. And so there's good news because Jesus speaks the truth. He speaks the truth and he guides the truth and he gives grace. Not only this, but... Jesus faced the separation that we should have endured, right? I mean, if you go through and read the Gospels, you see that the reason Jesus was crucified was because of false witness, is that they testified falsely of Jesus, and they said things that he didn't do. They said that he went out to deceive Israel, and they didn't realize that he was actually the light of Israel, that he was out to condemn the people when actually he was out to save the people. And so Jesus understands what it means to be lied against, and he bore the brunt of all of our lies. He bore the brunt of all of our our accusations that we've taken or we've given. And he faced the death that we should have faced, that we might know his love, that we might know his care and his forgiveness. The thing that really stuck deep in my souls, when I was uh, when I was probably a junior in college, I, I became a Christian when I was 16, and my dad really emphasized, 15, 16, and my dad really emphasized, he said, when you become a Christian, don't believe because somebody tells you to believe. Don't believe because it's cultural. Believe because it's true actually search out and seek out the truth and believe because it's true. And so I went to seek that out. I went on a search for what was true. And so I examined, I started to read different religions and different belief systems. I started to read Christianity to research. Is the scripture true? Can I believe it? Is Jesus actually who he says he is? And I started to reach all, research all of these things and it led me to college where I, I majored in biblical studies and I was in philosophy. And it was probably my junior year where I was in these uh, classes. I took a, cl- a whole semester over atheism and a whole semester over the problem of evil. And I sat there facing all of these deep problems and deep questions and, and wrestling with these things and trying to figure out, you know, these answers. How is it that God is completely sovereign and yet we are free? How is the Trinity, how is God both God and man at the same time? You know, all of these different things, trying to wrestle with these objections, wanting to know truth. I think deep down all of us seek that out. I think all of us deep down, we seek out the truth. We want to know what the truth is. Why are we here? Is God real? Can I trust these things? We all are on a search, on a journey for what is true. And in the midst of not having all the answers that I wanted, knowing knowing that there are good answers, but there are some questions that God says that you won't know until you see me. Right? That God gives us what is what we need for our daily living. And And the thing that really satisfied my heart was when I started to read through Job. You guys ever read Job, right? Job goes through this horrible and you know this horrible ordeal where God allows Satan to come and accuse Job and and take away all of these things to see if Job will be faithful. And at the end of it, does Job get an answer? Does Job get like God giving him this awe-inspiring like answer to the universe, like it makes sense of all of his problems and questions? No, he doesn't. What God instead does is God reveals Himself to Job. 
And, and why? Why? Why doesn't God give Job all these answers and just explain everything? And for me, what, what really helped was that I, I began to understand that there was something deeper than my desire for facts. There was a deeper hunger for truth than just my desire for, as philosophers call it, propositional truth. What I was really desiring was truth himself. And what I saw was that the deeper desire underneath the search for, for our quest for truth of facts is our, our quest for truth in person. Is it Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And when he's talking to Pontius Pilate right before he's crucified, Jesus says, he says, I am a king. I am a king. I am the king. And for this purpose I was brought forth, that I might bear witness to the truth. And everyone who hears the voice of truth hears my voice. Here's my voice. And so what I realized was what I was really hungering for was truth incarnate, was truth in person, was Jesus. That when I when I got God's presence and he came and he satisfied, there was a peace that came in. Not a peace that led me to stop asking questions, not a peace that, that led me from, from inquiry or examination, but a peace that led me to understand that even if I don't have all the answers, I know the answer. I know the answer because he's not just, truth is not just a fact, it's a person. And when we're in a relationship with him, there's peace in our life. There's peace in our life and he will guide us and we'll know even if we don't have all the answers we want, we will know that I know the one who does and therefore I have peace and know that one day he will give me the answers. And so what I hope, what I hope as we, as we make some applications, if you're not a Christian, I challenge you, consider Consider Jesus. Consider the claims of Christianity. Do you see that if, if Jesus isn't true, if Christianity isn't true, then you have you have a truth that's impersonal, that's cold, that's harsh, where if you fail it, there's no forgiveness or grace, that you failed. But Jesus is full of grace and truth, that he's able to impart grace to you even when you fail to meet the truth. Even when you fail to meet what you should meet, he gives grace in those moments. What do you consider? What do you come to Christ? What do you accept him? If you're a Christian... Why are you lying? What is it revealing about your heart? And have you allowed God's presence to satisfy you? Have you allowed the idea that he is truth to invade your life and allow him to form you and to be a person of truth? Who have you lied to? Do you need to confess? Go and make amends. Go and make amends. Confess your sin. Because if you're not ready to confess it, you're not ready to repent of it. Oftentimes we want freedom from something, but yet we don't confess it. If you're not able to confess your sin, you're surely not going to be freed from it. And so who have you lied to and what lies are you telling? Because until you confess it, only then will you be able to repent from it. And as Jesus said, the truth will set you free. We are enslaved by lies, but the truth will set you free. So I pray that today you will be set free from the lies that you either believed about God, that you've believed about others, and that you will be set free to tell the truth about who God is and tell the truth to others. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much that you are truth in person and that you can bring peace into our lives and that you you will form us to be a people that tell the truth, to be a people of truth. And so, God, I pray for us, I pray for in our workplaces, I pray for in our families, in our lives, that you would help us to be a people marked by truth. Holy Spirit, would you convict us of the lies that we've believed? Would you demonstrate your power in changing our heart and changing our mind?
For we know that lies lead to death. No matter how often or what we think they'll lead to life, they will never lead to life. Instead, they will lead to death. They will they will kill us. And so help us to know that, help us to acknowledge that, and help us to, to confess it and repent it. Repent of it. Thank you for your grace, Jesus, that we are saved, not because we are truth tellers, but because you are a truth teller. So we love you and we we give you glory, God. We give you glory and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.